Hey there, you're listening to the Faithful Business Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and I bring over a decade of experience owning, running, and growing Christian organizations. And in this podcast, I want to help you become a more effective leader for Christ and serve your clients and customers well. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome into another episode of the Faithful Business Podcast. I have a real treat for you, a fantastic interview with Wouter Droppers. Now, Wouter has come alongside leaders in the business world for more than 35 years. He served as the president of several companies in the automotive sector, and he's currently the president of Euro Partners, a European movement for Christian business leaders, where he advises, supports, and encourages Christian entrepreneurs throughout Europe about the topic of faith and business. We had a terrific conversation about his new book, The Jerusalem Entrepreneur. It was great, and I think you're going to really love it. Go check it out. You can purchase the book easily on Amazon. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Wilder Droppers. Well, hey there, Wilder. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm excited to to talk about this new book of yours. Uh, well, I guess it's new. 2021, is that when your book came yes. out? Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Very good. So the book is called The Jerusalem Entrepreneur, and the title itself jumps out right away. I'm a marketing guy. Uh, and so the title itself definitely jumps out right away to being like, yeah, this book is for me. I'm excited to read about it. And honestly, my experience was the longer I read, the more I went along, um, the more into it I got, right? It, the more it spoke to me and to my situation. And I was definitely able to identify. Um, with it. So we're going to talk a lot about the book, but before we do, I'd like to maybe zoom out a little bit and talk a little bit more about you, talk about your journey in business, um, talk about Euro Partners and what it is that you do there. Good. Yeah, born and raised in the Netherlands. And uh, my professional career, st I started when I was 18 years old, and that was reselling spare parts for automobiles in a small shop, just as a normal employee. And throughout the line, I worked my way up to the top of the company. And when I was 28, I was part of the management team doing purchasing and marketing. And at that time, we had 120 stores scattered over the Netherlands and in Belgium. And I think uh, 100 million uh, yeah, purchasing power at that time. Then I moved to Volkswagen Audi, became president of several dealerships with leasing and financing, body parts, the whole dealership uh, combination. Uh, I did that for another six years, and then I moved to the biggest reseller of cars in that time, uh, and became responsible for the Volvo and Range Rover brand uh, within the Netherlands, within that company. And in 2007, uh, I became president of CBMC. CBMC, you also know in the United States, it's called uh, Connecting Business in the Marketplace to Christ. It's also in the Netherlands. It's a, it's a good ministry with a head office and staff. Uh, uh, more than 100 groups scattered over the nation where people meet, pray, uh, be accountable to each other, would like to become a source of well-being for the environment. And, uh, and in 2015, I started to become president of Europartners. And Europartners uh, is more or less the same. We help uh, non-Christian business people get to know Christ, and we want to train the Christian business people to be very intentional about their faith in their leadership and in entrepreneurship. And uh, out of that role, I traveled through all of Europe. We are uh, connected in more than 40 nations in Europe. And uh, yeah, it's a privilege to speak with people about faith, business, and, and where and these crossroads people have in their life. And to encourage them and help them to become generous, uh, become good role models, and to be very intentional about that faith in their business and leadership. Yeah, and I, I think that's such a needed thing um because the the it feels like the longer we go the less welcome faith seems to be in business um at least by uh people who we might characterize as being from babylon which we'll talk about in in, in a few minutes but yeah. it's it's like even last night at our men's group at church you know uh our pastor um asked the question what is one of the things that you know, stops you from being more of a witness about Christ. And one of the answers was inevitably, well, it's hard to do that at work. Um, you know, it's not very welcome. And so I always appreciate folks who are very intentionally figuring out that process, figuring out, well, how is it that we'd be a source for well-being in our environment around us? How is it that we, that we share Christ 
maybe in an environment where it's hard to do so. Um, so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We're going to talk a lot about that. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm excited to dive into the content of the book. So thank you for, for sharing all of that. So let, let's dive right in. So you do frame up two different kinds of entrepreneur in the book. So I would say, what are they and what are their differences? Yes. Uh, you have to know, uh, I represent both entrepreneurs. I was the one in my life, I was the other one in my life, and currently I'm, I'm both in one. But uh, just for the audience, uh, the first entrepreneur, what we call the Babylon entrepreneur, is the entrepreneur, he's focused on it, on himself. He, me, myself, is the, the start of everything. Uh, he likes to compete with others. He likes to win. Uh, he's fun on uh, status symbols. He would like to be seen. He would like to glorify himself. He would like to become the most powerful, the most important. Uh, has a little narcissistic uh, yeah. inner being. And his credo is more or less the end justify the means. And that I contrast with an entrepreneur who is not so much focused on himself, but is more focused on the client. It's more how can we serve the client to our best abilities? What can we do for our staff to make them flourish? What can we do with our company to make life flourish in general on all levels? So he's have a more serving and, and loving character and is more focused on other people uh, than the other entrepreneur. And uh, you could say that his life motto is, uh, how can we bring life uh, to my staff, to my people, to all the stakeholders who are connected to this company? How can we help them flourish and give them a better life with everything God gave us before? And they are more focused on being than on doing. They are more focused on personal development and character development and, and outward performance. So you see that uh, two differences in that way. And maybe uh, in, in the book, I uh, contrast them with one employee, uh, an employer, who fired uh, a 300 persons by mail because he thought, when I do that in this way, without surplus, uh, it's very efficient. and uh, and he was proud of that. Uh, to an entrepreneur who I heard speaking, and uh, he had so, so many factory plants all over the globe. And he was so humble. And, uh, and what his character was, that people lined up before his office just to get his advice. And he was open to give him advice. Advice to his competitors, advice to his staffs. And uh, I thought, wow, this guy really has a great company, but he is still a, a very serving and humble heart that... He allows people to take his time and, and to serve them on all levels of, of their being. And I think that two kind of people you, you will see in, in daily life as well. That, uh, yeah. A good example, or a current example, have we had in Europe that uh, Queen Elizabeth was passed away. And when she started her service, she said, I'm here to serve the Commonwealth. I'm here not uh, to reign, but to serve. And in contrast, uh, also in, in, uh, in Europe, you have a very big shipping company. And in the same week, he announced uh, that he would like to dismiss uh, another 300 people just by broadcasting to all uh, the offices they had in, in Europe and said, uh, and by this day, it will happen. And this evening, you will be out of the job. That kind of, of different thinking about business and, uh, and about people and the value of people, I think that is... And that is the main characteristic. Yeah, the the word that comes to my mind when you say that is almost ruthless, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's almost, you know, ruthless, almost almost totally uh, uncaring. I would say that I'm curious what you think about this because, you know, I know a lot of people, and I know you do talk about how uh, there's a little bit of a difference between, say, a Jerusalem entrepreneur and then a Christian Jerusalem entrepreneur. You know, you may have somebody who is not necessarily a Christian, but they're living according to the principles of what you would define as a Jerusalem entrepreneur. And maybe this uh, falls into that. But I'm thinking about, you know, as I read this book, I I was looking for, and sometimes it's not very hard to see, but I was looking for the Babylon in myself, right? Where am I, you know, where do I show up more like Babylon than I do, you know, Jerusalem, you know, and I would say for, for me, I'm like, I'm, I would never be the guy who, and I'm guessing some of the people who listen to this could identify, right? I would never be the guy 
who would send a, a 300 person memo, right? That was basically like, you're fired. You know, I, I would never do that. However, there is a lot of business advice out there that talks about, um, I guess if I were to put it simply, a closed door sort of environment versus an open door sort of environment. You know, like you mentioned the guy who lines up and gives his time, you know, people line up for his advice. He gives his time to people. But then of course there's always that balance you have to contrast with, well, I only allow my calendar to be taken up by somebody for this amount of time, because if I don't protect my time, nobody else is going to, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. You know, there's, there's always that balance between protecting your, your time and your availability and then, being freely available to serve others. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. And uh, I understand that. But uh, the, 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 the key question is, where is your heart? Mm. Uh, because if you balance your time between people and targets, then maybe your heart is too much in targets because the people in itself could also be a target. And yeah. people in itself is maybe the call of our as for us as entrepreneurs to serve them. And we, we serve, a, we give a product or a service to serve people. So the main goal in our mindset must be people. How can I serve these people? And when I serve people in another way, I also do something that my heart's long for in, in serving. So as long as I serve, and sure, I have a certain role as an entrepreneur. I serve within a certain context as an entrepreneur. And I need to guide that role as well. But, you know, it's the same with the story of Jesus when uh, this woman came from the Northern Territories, from Lebanon, from Tyres or Cyrus, and she was asking to get healed. And Jesus said, but I only came for the Jews. So, and then right. said, the dogs also eat from the crumbles uh, under the tag. You know, you yeah. are always bigger uh, than where you are defined. And another uh, very good example is that... Uh, the compassionate uh, Samaritan, uh, the merciful Samaritan. You know, he was a business person. He saw someone laying at the streets. He took him, but he did not spend all his time or all his money or, or whatever. And then he left him in a refuge and said, if you take care of him, I will pay. And he moved on with his own life and with his own role. Uh, yeah. and I think we, we, when we are not touched anymore, by uh, compassion or if we uh, see people like this merciful Samaritan and we cannot uh, get off the road from ourselves just to pay attention there because it's needed. It's called for. Eh? We, we, you see it. You are there at a certain time and, and God puts this person on, on your, yeah, in, in your way. You should take care of him. Sure, you're not fully going and uh, give him all your time. You, you give him where he is the best, in refuge. <laughs> Because yeah. you know, there are people who can take care of them and you as a business person probably will not know how to deal with it and what to do with it. So better pay this guy some money that he's taken care for and, and leave him where it is the best. And I think that right. inside. you always have the, uh, even in your business, uh, in your busy business schedule, the, the opportunity to stop and to change your schedule because a need or a person is calling you. I think that's important. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love the Bible. Uh, those are two great examples that you don't really think of as applying to business, but they sure do. Um, they really do. That's fantastic. So um, how would you say then, you talk about this in the book, you talk about success um, in, in one versus the other. So how, how, like, how is your personal definition of success changed the, the more you move from Babylon to Jerusalem? Yeah. Yeah, initially, my personal success was uh, I want to have business success and have personal success to gain recognition uh, that people would see me, that people would value me, that I would be in, uh, in their presence, that I belong to the people I admire or I thought they are the leaders of this world or I, I should be there. And what I discovered in my life over time, and I only discovered it in my age of 40 when I was reflecting on my life, that basically that behavior came back from uh, making myself seen to my parents. You know, I come of a small family. I have an older sister. She's very responsible. I have an older brother. He's also very responsible. He walked in the steps my dad did, and my dad was a good entrepreneur. And I was the youngest, a little spoiled, but all also a little the rebel. 
I did all the ways the things my mother disliked. And she was sincerely worried. Will this young uh, adult really be successful in life? And will he walk the paths? I, I long for it. And that worry I took maybe uh, wrongly as something I have to prove myself to my mom. And I think from that, uh, from that point, that deep root, I uh, came all my performance driven, uh, time work to prove myself. I think, uh, many, uh, entrepreneurs start in that way. They would like to prove themselves uh, to show here I am, I can do it. See me mine, see my dad, uh, see environment that I can do it. And, uh, and uh, what you also, uh, when successes stay away for a longer time or for a certain period, you have the tendency to cut corners because you want these tangible successes. It becomes like an addiction. And every time you want to, to celebrate a new success. And basically you start to see yourself as you made success. If you are that, uh, gripped by performance and by being seen, then you see yourself only in your latest success. And it could be that one month later, you know, when someone else is better and you are forgotten already and you need to have this, uh, again. What I learned over time, and that was basically my life. And therefore I think I was very successful. I was really pushing the lines. We're really pushing people. I was really pushing performance. Uh, and, uh, and I was in that time very successful and I still think I'm very successful, but in a different way, because what I learned were what. Now, let me first tell you, this brought me almost in a, in a divorce with my wife, mm -hmm. you know, always pushing, always performing, always seeing people as instrumental to your own ambitions, to your own goals. And, uh, and she woke me up and she said, I don't like this behavior. You are a Christian. You go to church, uh, but I see a completely different lifestyle in, in, in your life. And. At that point in time, I did not recognize what she was talking about because I go to church. We had a good upbringing for children. I give money away. We had a social enterprise. Uh, we, we did good work. We were generous. Uh, so I think I thought I did everything God told me and my parents told me. And so why is my wife complaining? And when she started to explain, she said, you don't see me as a person. You only love me because for what I'm giving to you, a good home, a nicer bring for the children. I'm representative lady. I give you a lot. Therefore you love me, but you never ask me something about who I am and where I care for and, and, and what I do. And that opened up my eyes. I thought, whoa, this is a different way of looking to people. And then I recognized that basically uh, clients became ATM machines or profit and, uh, staff and employees were only mean production means or costs and everyone meant something from my perspective to me. Now that opened my uh, eyes slowly, uh, to look to another way to success. What is real success about And For me nowadays, real success is about, uh, the, the, the phrase loving relationships. Am I able to love God? Am I able to love myself? And am I able to love others properly and well? uh, from inside on my heart. And when you can do that, that will change your whole life. It will change your entrepreneurship. It will change who you are. It will change how people receive you. And out of that love, you can still be good entrepreneur because if you love your clients and you would like to serve them well for the good reasons, you get, uh, the best service there is because you love them and you do with your staff and you do it with your suppliers. And, uh, so love can be another driver then, uh, I need to be seen. I, I need to have the recognition that is also a strong driver, but that often drives you in a very narcissistic way of living and love drives you, I think in, in a proper way of living with the same results. So for me now, if you ask me what is success in life or business, being able to love God, love yourself and love your neighbor, being able to know others and being known by others and being able to love others and being loved by others. I think when. You are in that position, uh, that is a special and a privileged position to be in. And, uh, and I'm happy I can live there now. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I love what you said that, uh, love, love is also a driver of success, but you end up treating people right and getting the same results as if you had just done it for yourself. Or, and I think you would probably say too, in many cases, even better results. Um, that's fantastic. So, um. All right. So you say that a Christian Jerusalem entrepreneur 
is someone who is called and equipped. This is your definition. Called and equipped with talent, character, and personality traits to co-create with God in the world of business for the greater good, God's righteousness, and for God's glory. Can you uh, break that down for us? Yeah. Uh, I don't have to phrase. Uh, let me see where it is. Called and create, that is, I think, very important. Uh, or called and equipped. Because you need to have some kind of calling. Uh, if you don't have the calling, if you don't have the purpose that is bigger than yourself, then you basically live only for yourself. And then you are like a small boat on the ocean where wind blows, it brings you. And uh, every suffering is painful because it doesn't glorify yourself or doesn't help yourself. And you only long for the kids. And calling gets you a purpose that is bigger than yourself. And when this uh, calling is aligned with your talents and uh, with your heart, uh, it's a lovely thing to do because everyone would like to work in his talents and would like to work from what he uh, feels in his heart, how life should be. And if you as an entrepreneur, and that's, the, I think, one of the big advantages of an entrepreneur, we are called to create. We can create things. We can make things. We can make things happen. And uh, if you feel I'm called to make things happen and I can do it, from my heart and with my talents, yeah, that is a, a special place to be. And sure, you can still create for yourself. Therefore, it's important that we co-create with God, that we feel God is in it as well. I think uh, values we can share with many people, you know, with yours, with good with everyone. But to do what God wants you to do, that requires listening. That requires uh, uh, an open relationship with God. And to say, this company is not my company. It's God's company. These finances and this money is not my money. It's God's money. And that you, instead of praying in the morning, God, please bless all my efforts to, to make my company grow, that you pray, God, what do you want to do me today in your company? What do you want me to do with your money today? Where should I invest it? Where should I go to? And I met many people in my life who, for that reason, made different decisions, said, oh, I will not invest it in the best place where it yields uh, on the maximum level. But I feel I have to invest it in a, in a poor nation in Eastern Europe. And maybe it doesn't yield so much. But I feel called to, by God, to put it there. And it will yield maybe in another way. Maybe in a financial way, it will maybe have only a return of 2 or 3%, but it will have a return in in lives of people, employment of people, people who you give a new future and a new living. And therefore, it's this co-creation with God that God can speak in your business, can speak in your investment plans, can speak in your life, is very important because then you co-create with God. And sure, as a, a as business person, you do it in the world of business uh, for the greater good. You know, God created this earth for a reason. He would like to dwell on it uh, together with us as human beings. And he would like it to be a good place. For everything God created in Genesis, you see afterwards, he saw it was good. So we want to, to act in the same way, to produce something that is just and that is good. It's not so hard to produce something or to make some money. Uh, sure, sometimes it can be difficult, but that's, that's my own style is the easy part. But to do it in a good way and to produce the good things that really mean something to people. And... Uh, and contribute to righteousness, because I think that the future world, the messianic kingdom, where Jesus talks about, is full of righteousness. And righteousness means that everything comes to its place, to its place as God uh, wanted to be. And imagine that every person you meet come to his destination because you invest them in, in that way, and that God say, now you bring my people to where they are. Now you give them the dignity I have in mind for them. Now you give them the, the, the position I have in mind. And there they can flourish, there they can do whatever they like to do. And I think that also contributes to God's glory because that's basically what God is doing in his world and wonders to behave. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit because you talked about something so, so important there. Um, specifically as it relates to feeling called to 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 do something. I've always struggled with this. I'm not gonna lie, because um it's it's hard for me to realize like like I've I've heard people say, oh, like I'm 
whatever, like I'm called to go into the web design industry or I'm called. And I don't know how that to me, I don't I don't know how that works. Right. And I'm and I'm not going to speak for another person, but, you know, I, I don't know how it works for for God to say you should be a, you know, a web designer. I know that I through the sovereignty of God definitely came to that path. Um, through my experiences of life and I can see how the Lord lined it up and, and now we're, we're doing it, but you really helped me with something. I don't, you maybe not even put it in these exact terms, but what you talk about in the book, as it relates to calling, it always seems to be more about the higher purposes, right? The higher ideal, right? Something more than just showing up to do the work. And, and I was having a really hard time for myself with this, actually, until I read it, uh, until I read how you couch this in your book. Um, and I'll be honest, I think it's really made a huge difference um, and, go and going to make a huge difference going forward. Um, what I decided for me is that the word peace, right, actually bringing peace on earth and being, uh, it's, it's actually very apropos in my business, because like the way that I do business, I have a very different business model as a web designer, as a marketer than most others do. And, you know, the practical of it is, is well, I, you know, we work together, it's called subscription web design, like we work together on a monthly basis for the long term. That's the practical part of it. But honestly, the higher purpose part of it is the product is peace. The product is, yeah, like when you send an email or give us a call, like, we'll answer and we won't leave you hanging like a lot of people do. And as I look and as, as I extend that principle in my own life and I look at my family life and the things that I want to bring to the world, it's always, it always comes back to that word peace. And so in a very real sense, I think it's safe for me to say something like, I honestly feel called to bring peace into the world, right? To bring peace into the marketplace. Um, and that makes a big difference. So I think for anybody struggling with that idea of calling, I think my advice would be to think about what, what is it that the Lord wants you to bring to the world through your business? Like, what is that feeling, that emotion, that passion? Um, that is such a higher driving force, in my opinion, than just showing up to do the work. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the work we're doing. I love the business we're in. I think we do great work for our clients. Um, but ultimately, it's got to be about more than the work. And I think yes. you explained that well. Um, All right. So um, I want to talk about how you do this. Um, I was so glad after I read your description of a Jerusalem entrepreneur to see the next chapter, because what you went into then was, okay, well, this is all well and good, but how do you actually do this in a world that is basically um, Babylon? And you talked about... Um, Daniel, you know, use the example of Daniel. So I'd love for you to just talk about being a Christian Jerusalem entrepreneur in a Babylonian world, how we can set ourselves apart. Yeah, I think that the, the big advantage we have that the Babylonian world say, we don't care about the means, we only care about the ends. And so the result counts. And that gives, uh, it's often used in a wrong way, you know, that people take shortcuts, but it also gives us the opportunity, like Daniel, uh, to bring in the good values and the good examples and to show the world that you can also reach these goals in a completely different way. And, uh, and as a Christian entrepreneur, you have by uh, utmost freedom because you are your own entrepreneur. But even when you work within a corporate or you work in a big company, more and more that your bosses say, I don't care so much, just get me the results. <laughs> and uh, and that gives us the opportunity to get the results in a different way. Well, like Daniel had with his uh, a food process, uh, he received the best food, uh, he received the best training, uh, he received from everything the best with the set. I think there is a better way. And let us try it. And when it shows to be a better way, allow me to, to do it on my own way. And his boss was very pragmatic, but also a little trade because his head was at stake. They said, okay, I can't you, uh, give you some time to a uh, probation time to just to test it. And then he showed up to be more healthy, more wise, etc. I said, okay, we will continue. You can do it your way. And, um, and in that way, he made a huge difference because everyone saw him moving in a different direction and do it in a different way. Now, the same hey, back to our daily business. Imagine that your boss said, I, I don't care. Just give me the result. Give me the turnover or, or, or whatever. So start to do it as a Christian. Start to do it as you believe you should do it. And in, in get involved with your staff. Get involved with a personal life. 
build a culture. And I think building a culture is basically the key because out of culture comes everything. Uh, Peter Drucker, he said, a culture eats strategy for breakfast, but I believe culture eats everything. The culture you build is key for your success. Do you build the right culture in your company where people care about each other, where people feel valued, where people not only come for a paycheck anymore, but they come from you because they believe what you believe. They believe in you as a boss. They believe in your values. They believe in the way you, you treat them. Uh, they start to copy it and they will solve problems along the way without asking your permission because they see that it is good for the company and, and that they should uh, work in this way. So I believe culture is everything. And it's a little like Jesus is also saying, he said, when you uh, seek first the kingdom of God and its values, its principles, its culture, everything will flow basically from there. And he said, you don't have to worry that anymore because if you do the right things, then the result will follow. And I believe when you have built the right culture in your company and you help your people and sure you have some things you have to do, you have people put on the right position in the right spot and whatever to help them flourish. But if people can work from their strength, from, from where they believe in, from what they do, they will get the best for their part. And that will immediately make the difference from your uh, department or for your company uh, to your competitors, because they will see that another type of people is working there, They're working really about caring, solutions, innovation, uh, driving to the next level, because they believe in it. And that makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So culture and leadership, really just driving it from the top down as much as you can um, as a business leader, right? Um, because that you're kind of giving your people a North star to shoot for. And it's a difference between, like you said, the North star being the result versus the North star being the process almost, right? The, yeah. the North star is, this is how we work. This is how yes. we accomplish our goals. The result will happen right? Yes. if you do it that way, but then it's all about the process and how it works and how we're treating people along the way. Um, love it. So speaking of treating people, um, the subtitle of your book, which I, I don't have right in front of me, but, but it, it has to do with, with basically creating well-being, creating yes. well-being in the world. Um, I was a little, uh, like, I wasn't sure what you meant by that when I read, when I, you know, when I, when I saw the cover, basically, I was like, what does he mean by bringing well-being? So you did devote, I believe you devoted an entire chapter to it and you talk about it throughout. Um, can you just explain what you mean by that and that whole concept and theme? Well, being for me is more than only, uh, uh, you can explain it with the, the biblical phrase shalom. Uh, the, the Jews wish you shalom and that's not only peace. No, it's a whole way of living, of abundancy, of being loved. Uh, so well-being for me is that a person on all its level, a spiritual level, emotional level, social level, financial level, uh, flourish and that he, it comes to its yeah, a uh, destined position where that God has in mind for him, that he really becomes that person that he will, yeah, who God want him to be in every level. And, uh, and that means that as a company, we should not only have work on financial capital, but we should also work on social capital, on human capital, on natural capital, and on spiritual capital. I think there are all forms of capital who, uh, are an indicator of well-being. So well-being only uh, uh, being narrow to uh, the financial capital or your personal prosperity or, or, or the car you drive or the house you can afford you, yeah, that's a very poor uh, definition of well-being. Uh, we, we know that we can be lonely in a big car. We know we can be, it's lonely at the top. We know that we, when we don't have any relationships or would have all the money of the world, would just live in one island uh, somewhere in the Pacific alone. That, uh, that, that's not well-being. Yeah. Well-being is much more than that. So well-being has to do with the environment you live in. Well-being has to do with who the person you are. And I think companies are even more than churches equipped to, to work on all these different levels. Mm -hmm. Because uh, people are in the companies more than 40 hours a week. So they are trusted to you. Uh, they share their life and their heart with you and with their colleagues. So you have, uh, 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 yeah, you can train them, you can develop them, you can have a personal uh, talks with them, 
or about their next chap uh, chapter in life. Uh, you can contribute to their home and their well-being. Eh? You, you see many companies and states do, do it as well. For example, Coca-Cola Consolidated, they have chaplains in their company. They have uh, programs to, uh, to deal with the problems of their staff because they know when their marriage is good, they will perform better in the company. They have a, a, a quick response team when hurricanes come uh, and hit the East Coast to restore the houses. So they understand that where we could care about the well-being of people on every level, uh, yeah, that's a completely different kind of life. And people value that and people uh, will give back on that and uh, you will become the preferred uh, employer where they like to work. And that means that you get the best people out of your city or out of your, your branch or out of the university because people start to work for another perspective and in another way. And I think as an entrepreneur, we can, we can solve this. And when we invest in one of these areas, for example, when I invest in a human being and I train him and I develop him, he will become a better employer, uh, employee and he will contribute to my financial goals and he will contribute to the social goals we have for society and he will contribute to our creation goals and he will contribute to our spiritual goals because he sees something from God uh, in our leadership and, and in our lifestyle. And I think the challenge is to work on every individual capital in a way that it will automatically contribute to the other forms of capital as well. So if I would like to make a spiritual capital grant, I do that by loving people. And when I love people, I know that people will give back and, and that also my financial capital will grow and social capital will grow. And when I invest in a local city and I do something for, uh, imagine that an, uh, an employee has a, a, something he would like to sponsor or he cares about and I invest together with him in society benefits. He benefits, the company benefits because it will give back to the company as well. It's the same when I invest in natural capital by bringing down my waste and bringing down the oak should we use and energy. It will also influence my financial capital because when I start to produce more efficiently, everyone benefits. And I think that is the challenge of an entrepreneur, not only to make money, but to work on these different forms of capitals. And when you invest in one, that the others multiply uh, flourish as well. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the one of the challenges here is there's a temptation, I think, to drift back into Babylonian thinking, even when you do this. So somebody could read your book, for example, and say, oh, this is this is great. And then almost and you actually address this in the book as well. But, you know, you could almost take some of these programs and things as a like if they're if they come out of your marketing budget, then your heart is wrong. Right. Right. Yes. Like, like, honestly. Um, and so one of the interesting things is that really a Christian Jerusalem entrepreneur should be more than anyone um, intrinsically motivated to do these things. Um, our motivation for taking care of creation, our motivation for taking care of people, um, our motivation for, you know, being more spiritually healthy. You know, these should these should be things that are not posters that we put up or, or initiatives that we do to be seen, you know, but they should actually be consistent desires of our heart. Um, and so I, I think that's an important, you know, distinction to make here. It's like anybody can do this stuff or like anybody can say that they, that, that they're doing this stuff. Um, and then far fewer people will actually do it. And then far fewer than that, I think will do it for the right reasons. And do you think that that trickles out into the marketplace? You know, in other words, do you think that people can tell whether you really mean it or whether it's just part of your marketing campaign? I think it's, uh, it's not that important for you as an entrepreneur because uh, you as an entrepreneur, when you do it for marketing reasons, then is, this is important. But when you do it for God or you believe God puts it on your heart, then you don't care about so much what others do because you feel responsible for what you do to God and, and to your staff. And, uh, and if others do it for a marketing reason, you know, uh, people will easily read that. Uh, I, I know after the financial crisis, you know, all banks, they, they had, it came with an ethical agenda and one of the, the presidents in the Netherlands of a big bank, he uh, said, okay, now we need to behave differently and put the client first and I know the whole, and then at the end, he had all made only one sentence after I think 20 minutes, he said, but at the end, you know, also our stock value is important. And then everyone 
immediately dropped the whole ball, said, okay, nothing came. It was just for uh, for window rest. And yeah. So people will immediately have, if you walk the talk, that's most important. So your middle management is very important for the people because there they see what you believe and what you really live. There are, there is your direct line manager. He communicates your values uh, to your staff. And when he's not up to it, they will immediately see it and, and your whole approach uh, will be gone. So when you only put it on the wall and you don't bring it in your management team and you don't bring it in your lower staff and in your lower managers and that people see it in the, because the direct line manager is most important uh, for people uh, about their behavior because they try to copy his behavior. They want favor of him because he's directly responsible for that. They work daily based with him. They don't want to offend him. So his character and what he's doing, that is for them the key. And, uh, and you as an entrepreneur, you, sure, you work your way uh, uh, down, but uh, yeah, it's most important that you really live it. They, they will immediately see it and you will lose it all. That is, yeah. But at the end, you don't do it for the others or you don't do it for your business. You do it for yourself and for your relationship with God. Yes. Yeah, and that probably trickles into family life too. Um, you know, just the I deal a lot with people who have questions, you know, about Christianity. I like to I like to study philosophy and um, apologetics and things like that. And uh, one of the big reasons why you see people, well, kids specifically, leave the faith when they grow up, is that uh, their parents talk the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. Um, and yeah. so I think that just matters across the breadth of your entire life is actually doing and following through on the things that you said. Um, one of the things you address in the book that is a perennial problem for Christians, especially um, when you start to get into business, is the idea of of poverty versus prosperity. Um, you know, and you talk about this and, and I'm just curious, just your general thoughts on this. Like, you know, is, 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 is it, is it more righteous to be poor than to be prosperous? Is it more right? You know, is the other more, more righteous? Are they both ditches on either side of the road? You know, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I think at the end, it's not about poverty or, or prosperity. I think prosperity is to prefer above poverty because, uh, I think there is no blessing in poorness and there is no blessing in poverty. Uh, sure, sometimes poverty helps you to get back to the real world uh, again, when you live in a bubble or in a virtual world or, or you are lost. Uh, but in general, uh, we all know that poor societies, there, there is no fun. It's not seen as a blessing. Eh? The Old Testament talks about blessing. It's about abundancy. Everything is available. The land of milk and honey, and that's okay. Where goes it wrong? You can also fall from the table there. If when you, uh, when, uh, when you see the prosperity as your blessing and not the responsibility will comes with it. And I think a, a good example for this is the, the parable of the talents, you know, one get five talents, one get 10 talents and one get only one talent, the one with 10 talents, he multiplies and he get another 10 and the one with five also. And at the end, uh, the master is saying, you did a great job. You with 10, you get, uh, you'll be my master and you get even more. And the socialist will say, oh, that's not fair. He already has a lot and now he gets even more. <laughs> and yeah, uh, we should confess to, uh, to that. But he said, he doesn't say you get more because the blessing is in the prosperity or in what he gets. He said, you get more because you could deal with it. You took responsible. You are responsible. So the blessing is in the responsibility to handle it well. And when you can handle something well, and you can handle a lot of wealth very well. Then people say, oh, I would like to bring it to this person because he can handle it well. He's trustworthy <laughs> and he's responsible. And I wanted to deal with my, mm. uh, with my stuff. And only the one who had only one, he said, yeah, I don't like this master. So I buried it. And then the master became very angry. So I think we are called to multiply, to create abundance, to create, but do it in a good way, in a responsible way. And if the Lord is blessing you with a lot of money or with a lot of possessions, then the blessing is not the possessions or the money you have or the number of staff, but the responsibility he gave you. And, uh, and I think 
where we can responsibility see as a blessing. Wow, Lord, you entrusted me with so many people, with so much stuff. You must be really have confidence in me. I, I don't want to put you ashamed. I, I will do my best to, to do it and, and to multiply it and, and to give it further to new generations and, and to others. I think everyone wants to have such kind of leader and such kind of society. Where it goes wrong that we don't take this, uh, the responsibility as the blessing, but that we take the position as the blessing. We said we would like to accumulate it and hold it for ourselves. <laughs> and there something goes wrong. But when we see it as a responsibility to share and to create and, and to bring prosperity all over the world and, and create well-being for others as well, I think this is the best way you can have. Huh. Yeah, what a what an awesome perspective. The the responsibility is the blessing, not yes. the prosperity. I've never heard it put like that, but it makes so much uh sense because yeah, I mean that it seems like this is a this is a one of those sort of immutable laws, if you will, of of the universe because of the way God made it is that the more responsible you are, the more you will be given to manage. Um that you know, it seems like that's just always how it how it works. And I, I think for somebody just to stand back and realize that just the responsibility to handle it is the blessing itself. That's like, that's the next level. That's really, really uh, fantastic. Um, I have one more question for you uh, and then we'll get wrapped up. I very much appreciate um, your time today. This has been a fantastic interview. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and listen and take notes. I mean, I've read the whole book and there's notes from this podcast that I'm going to have to go back and, and listen back to and take. It's been so um, so helpful. Before I ask this last question, do you want to tell us, um, you know, wh where can we find you online? What's the one thing you want people to do? Should we go buy the book? You know, how should we get to know you better? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Buy the book. You can do it by Amazon. So that's, that's the easy part. Uh, yeah, I live in Europe. So, uh, your father is a ministry to help business people to flourish and to understand uh, what God has for them in, in their life. So we can serve when people in Europe are listening and go to www.europartners.org and you will find all the information. Contact me, write me a mail, write the contact form and we will help you and we will support you. If you are in the States, you have your own ministries, Faith Raven Entrepreneur, Faith Raven Investors, CBMC, FCCI, Kingdom at Work. I think there are many, uh, Faith and Go. Uh, so go to your friends and, uh, and ask them how to be a Christian in business. Yeah. Fantastic. That's excellent. And I'll put the uh, appropriate links in the description so that everybody can uh, go check those out when you get a chance. Okay. My last question, and this is a question that I normally ask when I do these interviews, but you also addressed it in the book. So I'd like to get your thoughts on it is um, either a morning routine or a daily routine uh, that you do that kind of keeps you, keeps you aligned, right? Keeps you going keeps you working. Um, a lot of us are disorganized. A lot of us don't start the day out right. And when the day doesn't start right, uh, it seems like you're always playing catch up. So I'm just, I find that the most effective leaders typically have something that they do to sort of keep them aligned. And let me just say one more thing. I, this is, this is especially useful and needful for people like us. Um, because when you leave sort of the bounds of traditional employment, you know, they put all of those, they, they sort of make those demands for you in, in a way. It's like, you have to be here at a certain time. You have to you know follow certain things. Well, at least for me, you know, I'm in the office in my home. And so if, if I don't wake, you know, myself up, if I don't get myself going, ain't nobody else going to do it. You know, I have to do it myself. So I'm curious your thoughts on all of that. Yeah. For me, most important, and I cannot encourage enough. I think for all, most important, it's an old phrase called silent time. And maybe you will like to call it differently nowadays, but I wake up at six o'clock and the first thing I do is go to my chair, to my private library, uh, a candle, a light, and have my time with God. And how does that look like? Uh, first I look to my agenda from the former day. So I looked to the yesterday and said, okay, Lord, who did I meet? What actions did I do? Are there still loose ends? Do I have to apologize? Do I have to forgive? Do I have to follow up with something? Is there something you tell me that needs extra? And many times, all kinds of ideas drops. I write them in a note and I can handle them directly afterwards. Then uh, I read a part of the scripture and I use Lectio Divina. So I read it twice. Then I write the words that really uh, touch me. 
And then I ask God, what do you want me to tell through this? And then I close by praying through the scripture. And, uh, and for me, that is also awesome because I see then who God is. I see who am I, I see how he thinks about me. And then I do my, uh, intercessory prayers. I have a booklet. I write down names. People ask me to pray for them. I do my intercessory prayers. And then I look at my agenda for the coming day and I look what are the appointments and, uh, God, would you like to speak already into me about these appointments? I dedicate them to God. I ask them to be involved. And then I go to my work and that takes me uh, half an hour, 45 minutes. And I do that every day. And, uh, the best ideas always I get in the morning. And when I do this, the biggest enemy is my phone. You know, if I start to watch my phone before I do this, I easily get lost because then WhatsApp comes in. Then I thought, oh, then I start up following with mail. And before you know, you are at work and uh, the whole yeah. schedule is blown. So it's important. Uh, first go to sit with God. Some people have, don't have a, a morning habit. Maybe they do it in the evening. I know people who drive to a construction place, they do it in their truck and have first their time with God. They pray in their truck, read there because then they don't have children. There's no one bothering that. They sit just in the truck before entering into the construction place. So everyone can do it in his own way. Some people like to walk in nature, find your own way, but find a way, find a way on a daily basis to connect to God. Another thing is find always three people who can speak in your life, where you are completely accountable to where you uh, share your hearts, where you share your thoughts, where you share your longings, your, your wrongdoings, everything. And will you allow to ask questions and to speak in your life? Uh, and uh, when you have a life partner, know that your life partner is 50% of God's wisdom. So don't argue too much. Don't uh, have too much to crawl or uh, tell you what they're saying. They know you very well and listen to that. And I would like to share my life as well with other papers. So be available for at least three people in some kind of discipleship relationship where you share your life with others because you learn a lot from them as well. So become part of a community and share on a hard level in places where you can do. I also have my own CBC group. I, we meet every bi-week, one hour and a half, Friday morning, seven o'clock till 8.30. We pray together. We share our lives together. We share business challenges together. We share our private life together. And over time, they became my best friends. And I see them now more than a church, than my actually church, because it's going on a much deeper level and it's much more profound, this, this fellowship of all friends. Find your places like that to, to feed you, to, to keep you on the track, because that's most important. That's fantastic. Great advice. Great way to close it out. Wilder, I appreciate every bit of your time. I'll put all the links and everything. I hope that a lot of people end up um, finding this book and, and purchasing it through um, through this path because uh, it really changed my life. I mean that. And uh, was a very, very helpful read. So thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope to connect with you again in the future. Thank you. Me too. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.